0: The content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to, products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client's situation is different. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor. you're about to get lucky with the bare naked money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance, with your hosts, Josh Shelleck and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth.
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Dan LeBlanc, portfolio manager with WLWP. And as usual, I'm joined by fellow partners, and Portfolio Managers Colin White and Josh Shelleck. Colin and Josh will spend some time with us today discussing the current state of the world from a financial perspective, of course, and where we might be headed next. No one can say that the past year and a half has been dull. Despite some challenging months, overall, our team are happy with, with what we've accomplished and it seems you are as well. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for your continued confidence in us throughout both the more carefree periods as we've seen for most of this year and during those times that may appear to merit a little more concern. Josh and Colin's presentation today will hopefully serve as a reminder that despite whatever the market is doing and regardless of what underlying factors may be at play, our philosophy and disciplined approach has and will continue to keep us well positioned. And now over to Colin and Josh. Thanks, Dan.
2: I'm leading off with good news. Catherine did a great job of putting together some stuff for us. So I'm going to do the honor of actually reading out more of this than I would normally read out of because I found it fascinating. We have good news on the rhino front. I know you're all waiting to hear about this. We're not going to talk about Facebook. We're going to talk about rhinos. That's what this is going to be. So, involved in all things rhino, the IRF released its annual report known as the State of the Rhino, reporting that. The dramatic population growth from just over 100 to 3,700 rhinos. And this is a very specific rhino. It is in native to India and Nepal. During the 1900s there are mere 100 individuals left and due to a concerted effort and ending of poaching there's over 3,700 animals today. So go rhinos! Now from here we could get a little bit more interesting maybe and we could go into you know Six in 10 Americans think that they're more financially secure now than they were before the pandemic or that uh, there's the entire graveyard has been con- converted to a new green city in Kuwait. But this is even better. Science has actually proven that being together in a group and hearing a story actually calls, causes us to biologically connect with each other. The heart rate of people who are, are, are witnessing a story or listening to a band or things of that nature all become biologically connected. So as we come back together after this pandemic, then we should get into large groups and have our heartbeats beat as one. Maybe that's where that, that lyric came from in that song. So we're gonna to go to the polls, Josh, and we're gonna find out what the state of our audience is because this will help us decide the exact tone of what we're going to talk about today.
3: Yeah, we got a great one here today. Loaded question, how are you feeling about the state of the world? Either things coming back together nicely, I have no idea what's going to happen next, or I'm not really sure where we're headed. And to me, Colin, we have to talk to the poll master here because all of these things, they could all be true at the same time,
2: right? They're not mutually exclusive. Oh, no, no, no. There's science behind this, Josh. This was very carefully planned out, and I'm sure the poll master has got a very specific idea behind the answer that we're about to get here. All right. And it's actually this serves as a good time to remind people that you can ask questions as we go. There's the dialogue box to the right where you can actually put, post a question and we'll get to it as quick as we can. That's right.
3: So we have our poll results coming in here and I'm going to share them with our audience.
1: This Most is, this people
3: is, feeling a little unsure of what's happening next Colin.
2: Well, there you go. See, that's why they've all signed up for this exciting talk to figure out exactly what does come next. And I could understand people being a little confused because the markets have been a little bit all over the place. And more in the last few days, even, it has caused a little bit more yeah, interest. So, uh, Josh, I want to throw it over to you and you can talk about from April until almost now and tell us what's the story? What's the 411?
3: Well, I think everyone's been jumping for joy. You see it in the picture here, right? Every client that I've had come into the office between say January and and, end of August came in jumping and wanting to hug me and super excited, big smile on their face, super happy about everything that had been happening, thinking markets always go up. This is so awesome. I love investing. And no doubt it's been a pretty awesome run for markets. It's You know, there's nothing else to say, because when you look back to kind of end of March 2020, a lot of stock markets, not a lot, but some of them anyway, are up 100%. They've doubled since the bottom. And we've had earlier this year about seven straight months of of markets going up. So everything, again, hunky-dory, feeling really good about uh, yourselves right now, really good about investing. Now, Colin, my memory, not that great, but I think right before this awesome stretch, we had something happen in the world that maybe caused a bit of a stir.
2: Well, yeah, I think that's where we need the theme music for, for telling the, the, the advent of the Christmas past. Like, so let's, let's just take a walk a little bit, because this is really, really super, extra, super important to remember how you felt before all of this wonderfulness happened. And this is the master class in investing because it involves learning from your you know, experiences over time. So if you take a look at some of the headlines here on the next slide that's going to come up, it's going to kind of maybe tweak a few things with you about how you know there was a period of time there where you thought the world was coming to an end, the end of the world economy as we know it. Those are common headlines. Not that long ago, a lot of people were feeling pretty bad at that point in time. You roll into that, the U.S. political situation and all the other political unease around the world and things. There were a lot of people who were not very comfortable. And more importantly, over the last few years, last couple of years for sure, there's many times when people have felt really, really sure about things. I'm sure this is bad. I'm sure the markets are going to go down. Hmm. Report card is in. You maybe should not have been so confident. So if you want to learn, this is a huge, huge once in a generation kind of opportunity. Because in my career, there have been very few instances where we've gone through these periods where everybody was absolutely sure of a negative outcome and they got so badly proven wrong in such a short time frame. And if you can really wrap your head around that, get in your own car, drive back in your own memory, go back to that moment in time and really try to grab hold of it and say, yeah, I was pretty sure or I was definitely sure that this was going to be bad and it hasn't been from a financial perspective. Now, this whole thing comes with the caveat we're talking about the financial perspective. There's absolutely human misery, and there's been all kinds of bad things going on, but it didn't necessarily reflect into the markets. So, to to revisit one more, because I can't say this enough. This is hugely, hugely important. If you can go forward with maybe a little bit more humbleness about what comes next. Because again, I still have people awfully sure of things when they come into the office. Obviously, this is good, or obviously this is bad. Everybody is really sure that this global pandemic was a bad thing. Everybody is really sure that the U.S. political situation was a bad thing. Markets have kind of shrugged that off to a point, and this is really important to remember right now because we've just entered another little period of turbulence over the last couple of weeks, and you know, now's a good time to remember. Oh yeah, these things happen. I shouldn't be I shouldn't read too much into, you know, what I'm seeing in the moment and certainly not be so confident that it's just going to keep going in that negative direction.
3: So that brings up a great question, Colin, is what should people be feeling next here and today with some of this volatility or discomfort over the last few weeks?
2: Well, this is funny. This is you can tell I no longer make the slides. Um, what should we feel uh, i don't often get asked that question because i tend not to be all that in tune uh, on the feeling side but I- your feelings are pretty natural it, it's, it's what you do with them this is important like if you allow your if you allow your decisions to be made using how you feel your, your gut feel or you're happy to feel your, your i'm sure feel wh- whatever feel you have if you use that to make a decision that can be a recipe for disaster so you know you can feel as you see fit just Don't let it influence your financial decision-making and you're probably going to be okay. I mean, there's, and Josh, you know, we'll talk about it, you know, going forward as to the reasons to be happy and the reasons to be, you know, less happy about what happens next. Uh, But again, it's, it's always a balance and again, not just not being too sure about what comes next.
3: Yeah. It's, it's easier said than done, but you don't want to get too high when things are good and you don't want to get too low when things are bad, and if you find yourself tilting a little bit too far away from center, you can give us a call and we'll try to we'll try to bring you back to center.
2: Well, an interesting thing I learned about that long ago is that professional athletes actually spend a whole lot of time trying to stay exactly in the center. In fact, that's some of the drug testing they do in professional golf. I was informed they actually take medications to dull their emotions because they find that you know, emotions automatically get in the way of being a peak performing athlete. So. I'm not suggesting anybody should drug themselves. I'm just saying that's you know, that that's the thing that's out there.
3: Yeah, there's going to be a few people that read right between the lines there, Colin. I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> so Catherine found this this really cute photo of a hamster riding a tricycle, and everybody out there is probably asking right about now, what does this have to do with inflation? Absolutely nothing. That's the whole point of the photo. This photo doesn't mean much. And that's kind of like the inflation numbers that we're seeing right now. So what are we seeing in the inflation numbers right now? And this graph is is showing you inflation over the last 30 years. Right now we are experiencing about the highest inflation that we've experienced over the last 30 or so years, a bit like that hamster you want to avoid paying too much attention to it. It's cute. So you'll, you'll pay attention to it anyway, but you don't want to draw too many conclusions from this. You don't want to project this too far into the future. Will inflation be higher over the next 10 years than it has been over the last 10? Yes, we think it probably will be, but is it going back to eighties inflation where people were getting mortgages for 15 or 20%? Is it going to average 5% or more over the next 10 years? We really don't. We're in this really tough period of time right now where there seems to be a shortage of absolutely everything. It was starting with toilet paper and now it's moved into chips and automobiles and that's moved into appliances. And I even have a client that told me that there's a severe shortage of uh, control panels for fireplaces so you can't get a gas fireplace these days. Chicken wings, yes, this is a thing as well. Apparently, chicken wings, there's a shortage of them. I'm told this is going to be figured out by Super Bowl. I really hope that's true. I talked to somebody that works at Boston Pizza. Boston Pizza has had a shortage of French fries and mozzarella. That's kind of a problem when you run a pizza company. Inflation has been super low for the better part of the last 20 years. And there are some reasons, again, why we might see it higher going going up in the future, but I don't think we should be extrapolating the numbers that we're seeing right now out indefinitely. Again, I don't wanna poo-poo this entire thing because inflation is something that all of us, I think, are are feeling in a very real and meaningful way right now. Inflation probably will be higher going forward. We think that that, that's that's a, a likely scenario, but keywords there, a bit higher. Not going to be way higher. We don't think so.
2: Well, well Josh, I read something interesting very recently in, uh, by way of inflation that's very concerning to me. Bacon inflation. You know, everybody talks about the consumer price index, and that's a basket of go. And I may or may not participate in your basket, but I participate in bacon and bacon is up 17.8% over the last 12 months. It's hit a new all-time high of 8.24 per half kilogram. So the pain is real if you're a bacon lover.
3: Yeah, and we all love bacon and we're launching our next poll here for everybody that's out there. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the option to stock up on bacon, but I guess that can kind of fall into the non-perishables category here. I'm not sure how long you can live for on just a bacon diet, but I don't know how far you can get, you think you can get going on just bacon.
2: Well, isn't there something called a, there's a kind of diet that relies only on meat. I mean, there must be all kinds of research out there on it. And I'm pretty sure I could trade bacon for other things because you know, who doesn't like bacon?
3: Yeah, I think that's a keto diet. It's it's all uh, all fat and proteins and no carbs at all. So, bacon, perfect for your keto diet. All right, so let's share the results here. So I, I'm actually shocked. I thought there would be way more people investing in gold. And I guess I'm also shocked that people have this much confidence and faith in us.
2: All right, I'm a little bit scared right now myself. I, I I don't know if I can handle this kind of pressure. I may just crack.
3: It's a lot of power, Colin. With
2: great great power comes great
3: responsibility.
2: And I think we scared all the gold people off a few presentations ago. And the fact that gold is actually flat over the last 10 years. You know, there's not a whole lot of people believing in gold right now. All right, so I'm going to do something a little bit different this time. I'm actually going to read from the Bank of Canada statement and you know, do a little bit of interpretation as to what it means, both implied and and not so, and, and it actually means. All right. So, the last meeting was July 23rd, I believe. There may have been one since, but this is the most recent one that we took information on. So, the targeted overnight rate is going to remain at a quarter of a percent. So, it's unchanged in the prior meeting. That's basically the, the rate that's the overnight, so the day to day lending rate. And that's all the Bank of Canada sets. Now, this is an important time to remind everybody the Bank of Canada does not set all interest rates, they just set the overnight rate. And this chart here shows an example of exactly what those changes have been meant over time. There's been three times in the last 10 years when the change was actually 0.5 points, which is huge. And they were all in March of 2020, which you know everybody remembers, that's when the pandemic was hitting. So think of the Bank of Canada like a really good referee. You, know, you just don't ever want to notice them. You know, their, their job is to kind of keep the rest of the game going. And that's you know they've done a fairly good job of that over the last little while. But I wanted to read a little bit more because, you know, Bank of Canada has a couple of things that they are trying to do. And then based on monetary policy and things that have happened in history, one of the core functions of the Bank of Canada, in some people's eyes, is to maintain uh, an inflation, a a hedge on inflation. Not let let inflation get too far out of control. So the inflation rate was at 3.6% in May and believed to be due mainly to base year effects and transitory bottlenecks. All right, so I'm going to channel my inner geek here. Base year effects just means that the 12 months they were looking at where they started from was an abnormal period. All right. So the first thing, they started from an abnormal period. Therefore, every one year measurement is going to be a suspect value. Like there's not a whole lot. Now the second part, transitory bottlenecks, is a weird way of saying we can't get shit. You know, the, the whole the ship, the, the shortage of chips, the shortage of bicycles, all that kind of stuff. We have all these transitory, they hope, problems in the supply chain. You know, there's mozzarella problems, there's French fry problems, there's bacon problems. You know, the, the expectation is when they say transitory, they feel that a lot of these issues will work their way out of the system. All right. So there's they're making two comments on that number, which is above their stated range that they like to see inflation in, saying that hey, we're not too worried about it because it's a one-year number that maybe doesn't have as much validity as it would in a normal period of time, and we feel a lot of this is being caused by transitory things that we expect to work out. Now, part of the challenge is, how long is it going to take to work out? We've been talking with people and we've heard observations and it's all conjecture, but it could take until 2022 or even 2023 before the new vehicle pipeline is full again. right? So, we're talking about transitory. Yeah, but we might be walking slow. So, these issues may play out over a couple of years. And perhaps if they do, it's going to become more meaningful to the Bank of Canada. Bank of Canada's quantitative easing program has decreased down to $2 billion a week from $3 billion a week. I love when you talk about how many billion a week it is. That's That just makes me feel powerful and everything. So, basically, this is where the Bank of Canada gets involved in the market and tries to influence the overall market through a, uh, through a program of intervening and basically be, it, being in the market. So, this is in addition to the overnight rate which they get to set. This is them, I'll go, I don't like that and I want to intervene. You know, 2 or $3 billion a week? You know, dropping it by a billion, that seems significant. That's a drop by a third. So they seem to be gradually weaning themselves out of the market where they're trying to influence things longer term. You can interpret that as them thinking that, okay, the, the emergency is passing and, you know, we can let things get a little bit more fluid and let the market just be the market, which is positive. If, if, you know, whenever you have interventions, you hope that they go away at some point in time. And that's, you know, you can take a little bit of hope out of that. And it's like we need to support the you know the the growth in Canada and, and all all the other kinds of you know important speak that they'll talk about. But remember, the Bank of Canada should be like a referee. They should just keep everything flowing. You shouldn't really notice them a whole lot. That's when they're doing their best work. And then we go into real estate. I think they gave me this because I've been in the real estate market recently so there's been a lot of talk about making it easier to buy houses but the problem is there's no more houses to buy so you know when you're hearing policy initiatives and people talk about making it easier to buy a house that's actually not a tremendously good thing because you know again if you just create more demand in a market where there's no more supply it's not going to get more affordable it's just not so these these periods of time where housing you know right now there's a shortage of housing so, as anybody who can swing a hammer has a job, and a lot, lot more housing is being built, and the market will correct for it over time. Now, the government's going to try to intervene in the market. Oh, good, the government's here to help. That's, that's always a little nerve-wracking for me, uh, because, again, they tend not to hit the mark when they do these kinds of things. But remember that you know we can talk in averages a lot, but then, unless you own 10,000 houses all across Canada, Averages don't matter a whole lot. Your one property does. And speaking from experience, having recently sold a house, it didn't go according to plan. I was told it was going to take three days. Well, it took almost four weeks and did not go nearly as, as we were expecting it to go. And I have talked with clients who are in a similar situation. So, you know, again, there's the general real estate having done well, and then there's the the reality of what your individual real estate does. But a lot of people are selling houses for a lot more than they thought over the last little bit and you know and people are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars over asking they're doing it without having any conditions on the offers which is strange and odd you know so things have been pretty frothy but does that mean that it's always good josh is real estate always great perfect and wonderful
3: yeah we have to always throw cold water on this stuff and be the 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 devil's advocate to some of this stuff. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because we seem to have short memories as investors a lot of the time and we're forgetting again with real estate. I've heard dozens of times over the past few years from people that say real estate always goes up. And I also hear a lot of people saying that uh, buying their home or or investing in real estate or buying real estate uh, at all was the best financial decision that they've ever made. And I feel really happy for these people. I'm really happy that it's been that successful for them. But, and of course there's a but, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but real estate does not always go up. And we don't need to look back that far, just to the 90s here in Canada, where we could basically call it a lost decade for real estate. Real estate went basically nowhere for an entire decade. So. Yes, it didn't go down that substantially. It was kind of flat. But if you're sitting there and telling me that real estate always goes out up, I'm gonna say, no, it doesn't. And then we can look just a little bit south of the border. Less than 15 years ago, there was a pretty serious, severe and prolonged downturn in the real estate market, basically across the entire country. That was less than 15 years ago. So we're not sitting here and telling you, run out and sell your house. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying that you may not want to strap yourself right to the nines with debt or make too many financial decisions, any financial decisions for that matter, that are predicated on real estate always going up, never going down in value.
2: Yeah, and the other, other way that we look at it is always diversification. If you've got 90% of your net worth tied up in real estate, that's too high. You know, so there's, you know, again, you have to make sure that you have enough fluidity, liquidity in your situation. But they gave me the election to talk about. So, let's talk about elections. And I did some reading, as I tend to do, and I found some research that was done by Bloomberg talking about the last approximately 100 years in Canada. So The last 100 years of Canada, going back to 1922 to 2015, so it's close to a 100-year period. Now, the expectation is Liberals bad for markets, Conservatives good. Over that time period that was, that was looked at, when the Liberals are in power, the market actually averaged 6.8% as the positive rate of return. Conservatives, 2.2. So we've done three times better under Liberal governments than we have, have have under Conservative governments. So what does that tell you about how to invest your money? Nothing. The, there's a whole bunch of things that you can talk about with regards to this. You know, there's the, you know, the when things are, are tighter and we feel that we need to be more restrained, more more likely to vote Conservative. You know, this is one theory that's been put forward. Uh, but the other thing is, as governments put in policies, it can take years or decades for those policies to really take effect to make a difference. So, it's not like somebody gets elected on Monday and Tuesday. They do something that dramatically changes the economy. It, nothing moves that quickly. Alright, so we wanted to spell again, make you less confident. Well, conservatives good, liberals bad. That's well, not what history has told us, but then history really hasn't told us anything because, we don't think governments are all that important to the direction of a stock market over any point in time. And the other thing we say all the time is don't anticipate, because when the governments are running for re-election and people are you know, putting out platforms and people are attacking platforms and people are trying to scare you into voting because fear is a positive motivator, then you know they're going to say, oh, your host is going to become taxable, capital gains, inclusion are going up. Don't anticipate these things because you can cause yourself a lot of pain for no gain. You know, The amount of time we've been talking about your personal residence becoming taxable or capital gains conclusions going up. Again, those kinds of things may happen at some point, but to to cause yourself pain by anticipating those kinds of things, that's not going to get you any further ahead. And Josh is going to explain to us about COVID-19.
3: Yeah, so I'm going to keep this brief. COVID's a thing. It's been a thing for a while. It's going to continue to be a thing. Maybe it's going to continue to be a thing forever we're probably going to continue to have waves of infection. We'll probably have some continuing inconveniences in everyday life, but we have vaccines, we have treatments, we're going to manage our lives uh, and to live like this, just like we have with other sicknesses like the, the flu, for example. From an investment perspective at this juncture, we need to start looking past COVID. It's not irrelevant, but it's hard to make investment decisions that are relying on anything related to COVID at this point, we're, we're kind of past it.
2: Yes, and employment. <laughs> and again, I love working with the team because I get to see this through different eyes. Josh gave me one of the more glib comments I've ever heard on employment. Basically, there's a job out there for anybody who wants one, as long as you've got 10 years experience, you know, programming in a specific data language that somebody wants to hire for. But look, the, the, the point is, is that there's a whole bunch of unfilled jobs out there. You know, so a determined person who's looking for work, there's probably something they can find. So that's an improving situation, which is another thing to flip back to politics for a second. When they talk about creating jobs, it's like, whoa, 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 wait, <laughs> we're good. We have enough jobs. We just need people. You know, so right now in, in, the, in the marketplace, and again, this is a positive thing because in theory, people are gonna start getting paid more. Uh, so if people have more, they're gonna spend more. And if people, you know, again for the lower end jobs, when people get paid more, they tend to spend all that money, right? So it goes back into the economy very quickly. So this is one of those things, and we'll will we'll bridge to this shortly, where we're we're a little opti- We, we there's, there's aspects of things we're quite optimistic on going forward, but in a in a world where anybody who really wants to work is going to find something, then that's a pretty positive thing for for the economy for sure. And I want to set this one up, Josh, because we had a pre-question, the pre-question that was asked to me before we even did this presentation, and I didn't seal any of your thunder was, what about China? So you know, to the client who asked, I assume that they they log in for this. Please tell them all about China, Josh.
3: Yeah. Meanwhile, in China, a lot going on there, and it's maybe been the most newsworthy area of the the world for for a while now. We could probably do a whole presentation just on China but the recent news story, probably the the one that's piqued interest from most investors is this China Evergrande. So this is a a large property development company based in China, Chinese company. They have about $300 billion worth of debt and they've defaulted on their debt recently. And that's a massive number uh, of worth of debt. And for sure there's some concern. Now, the concern is not really so much about this company itself, but more so what does that mean for the Chinese economy? Are there other companies that are in debt this much? What does that mean for global financial institutions? And how does this all play out? For sure, uh, $300 billion, no matter how you shake it, that's a lot of money debt. Now, maybe more important than that, China's really been clamping down on its technology companies and other related businesses that are sort of technology companies in a way uh, recently. Now, Colin said, governments don't really matter that much. Well, it does when you have a dictatorship, right? And when your dictator doesn't like what a company's doing and they can basically put a policy in place and wipe that company off the face of the earth, That can be a big deal, and that's what China's doing right now with some of these these technology companies. They're really bringing the hammer down on them, especially technology companies or companies, any companies for that matter, that choose to list on a foreign exchange outside of China. You also may have heard about China banning all cryptocurrencies, so you cannot do a cryptocurrency transaction in China legally today. And they've even gone so far as to ban kids from playing video games during the week. Now I know there's probably a lot of parents that are out there saying yep yeah, that's a really good policy. Yeah maybe not so much if you're a Chinese video game uh, company. So a lot of headline-making news out there. The question is does it matter or what does matter what doesn't and how much does it matter and I guess the first and foremost, I would say investments that we make on our client's behalf have very little direct exposure to China. China is still a relatively closed economy. It is a a big economy. It's the second largest economy in the world, but it's still fairly closed. North American financial institutions, for instance, right across the board, no matter where you look in North America, less than 1% of their assets are exposed to China or Hong Kong. So when we talk about, is there gonna be some type of contagion or or spillover to the rest of the world? Again, our our thoughts are probably not. So these events, not without risk, but we don't think there's gonna be a big systemic issue with them. Now, what this does highlight for us again, and we talk about this all the time, is we gotta stay diversified. We don't wanna get too married to any one idea, because if we had too many eggs in our China basket or too many eggs uh, invested in in Chinese technology for example we were got crushed over the last little while no matter how much research you can do you're never going to know what the president of China is going to do to influence the companies in his country so you can't get married to anything you have to stay diversified it's super important
2: absolutely you know the the, the more specific you get with your investments the more fragile your investments become and you never know why until after after the fact so another good reminder so we're going back to the polls
3: we're going back to the polls and this question here and we're we're experiencing this a little bit right now when the markets happen or when the market volatility happens what should you be doing and this the last couple questions were they were very much fun questions this is an actual skills testing question and if you get this answer wrong you will be immediately ejected from the webinar (laughs)
2: <laughs> wow, Josh's evil twin has shown up. This, uh, this is,
3: uh, people said that they're listening to us before, Colin, so i am just really putting that to the test right now.
2: All right, fair enough. let's know. Don't no pressure everybody. Yeah. We, but we know who you are and we know how you vote. so <laughs> in fact, I don't even know that's true. I don't know if we know who, who voted what way. I don't even know if we know that.
3: We have uh, we have percentages coming through, but I can't tell who said what. We're not that creepy going.
2: Oh, okay, fair enough.
3: All right, well, let's share the results here.
2: I figured for sure that there would be a lot more in the third one, uh, knowing the sense of humor of some of the uh, some of our clients.
3: Yeah, well, two uh, percent of our 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 uh listeners right now have just been ejected from the webinar so <laughs> we'll, we'll get you the rest of it after
2: all right josh so this is the big question this is the money question now a good time to invest do yep. you have anything different to say or can we just go with that montage of every other presentation we've given
3: yeah we'll, we'll just hit re- replay right now and we'll check out for the rest of the presentation right Call?
2: <laughs> no, let's give them something fresh let's give them something new
3: Yeah. So again, our stance is always that if you have long-term money and you're not going to need to tap into the next six, 12, 18 months, now is generally always a good time to invest because markets go up over the long-term. If you have short-term money, it doesn't matter what our views are on the market. Now is not a good time to invest that short-term money. It should be in something safe. It should be in something guaranteed you need to protect that at all costs, because as we've hopefully reinforced throughout this presentation so far, we just don't know what's gonna happen over the short
2: term. Well, I love that the, the phrase, and I'm gonna give Josh credit for this phrase, we're ne- neutrally buoyant. Uh, I'm not even entirely sure what we mean, but uh, you know, listen, there's all kinds of money building up. Uh, savings rates are high, credit card debts are being paid down. There's a lot of pent up demand because the goods just aren't available. So at some point, is going to be quite a bit of economic activity so I think over the next five years you know th- th- things can look pretty good but the market anticipates and if the market is anticipated more than what's really going to happen then we could have a bumpy little period of time here over the next couple of years and that's pretty much as good as our analysis is going to get we can put a lot of words 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 but at the end of the day that's that's you know, the most honest and direct way that we can talk about things so Josh what are we doing about this right now? We must be doing something. Bias to action.
3: Yeah, well, a, a couple of things. You know, obviously we're we're always keeping busy. We're always looking under a lot of rocks, and right now it's harder to find opportunities than it would have been a year ago. So we're looking under more rocks than we normally would be. But generally speaking, in broad strokes, there's there's a couple things I think that we've alluded to throughout here that that influence the decisions that we're making for clients. And one is we're a little bit more tilted towards stocks and to growth focused investments than The other side, which would be our conservative investments, and the reason we're we're that is because we think that the economy is generally firming up, things are are generally still improving. As long as the economy is still growing, you're not going to see maybe double digits or 20% returns for stocks, but things should continue to go in the right direction over the, the longer term. And another thing that we're doing is when it comes to interest rate sensitivity, we're dialing down the interest rate sensitivity in our portfolios. Inflation, higher interest rates, these things tend to go hand in hand. I said that we think inflation might be a little bit higher over the next uh, five or 10 years. So by dialing down the sensitivity, we're we're reducing our exposure to, to higher interest rates in that way.
2: And we're still not making big bets. We still believe in diversity, so. None of that's changed. Yeah. Now, Colin, uh, what should I not do today? Don't be overconfident. Don't think you know what comes next. Don't take dramatic action based on a gut feel or something that your brother told you. Don't, 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 don't. Again, think back carefully over the last two years or three years. How did you feel at different points in time? Try to really remember that and then take a look at how things have turned out. Again. It's, it's funny, when we get together as a group to have our portfolio management meetings, there's a lot of real humble people in the room. Like, we very, very seldom does everybody go, yes, this is obviously what's going to happen next, let's go. It's very much, well, you know, on one hand, on the other hand. and my experience, the smartest people I've had a chance to talk with directly aren't sure of much. Because, again, when, the more you become aware, the more you understand the different things that can happen. So, don't change your long-term investments based on short-term feelings and try to remember and try to really, really take to heart what's happened over the last little while and try to make sure you use that information when you're, as you're moving forward.
3: Yeah, don't put too many eggs in any one basket. I mentioned this analogy earlier and funny story, Andrew from our office here used to have a chicken coop out back of his house and his kids would go pick all the eggs and he said, they always put all the eggs in in a single basket. Always didn't didn't matter when they were doing it or which which of the kids was doing it. Always all the eggs went in the same basket. Most of the time it worked out just fine, but when one of them tripped, 50% of the eggs gone. So don't put too many eggs in one basket.
2: And that's where that expression came from. That's right. A lot of questions, everybody. Now I've got a couple of questions that have come in. So, we'll, we'll, we'll start with these. The first one I see has come up on my side here, Josh, is everyone's asking me if the in-person seminars could be coming back in 2022. I'd love it. I would love nothing more than to be in a live room in front of you people and having everybody ask the questions and interrupt us as we're going. I'd love nothing more. So, as soon as, as COVID will allow us to, uh, I am absolutely sure I'm in. I'll I'll take the time to do it. Uh, Josh looks really good on stage. I'm sure Josh is in. So yeah, just stay tuned and we will do our absolute best. And the the next question, Josh, has come in. Uh, So short term, we should pay down debt and mortgages is the question. What say ye to that?
3: Yeah, tough question to answer uh, sort of for everybody in general on this call. It's gonna be very specific. If you're very, very debt averse, usually is what I tell people is, yeah, sure, pay down some mortgage if you're very, very debt averse. Uh, If you're not very debt averse and you're thinking, okay, let's make the right mathematical decision. Well, what's the interest rate on your mortgage? If the interest rate on your mortgage, like a lot of them that I've been hearing is under 2%, can you get better than 2% rate of return on your investments? If so, then maybe you should put some in your investments while paying down your mortgage. It's a bit of a give and take. You don't need to do all one or all the other. You can kind of spread those two things out if it if it makes sense for you.
2: Yeah, the right debt level, which includes mortgages, like the overall debt level, really is a very personal thing. So a lot of times when we talk to clients, it's you know, it's more comfortable to be debt free as you go into retirement. So what you do is you just have all your debt amortized to end around the around the time you want to be retiring. As Josh said, if you're only paying two percent or three percent even for your for your debt you can expect to do that or better in an investment. So, you know, you're probably better off in keeping money invested, just having the debt retired at a time that's appropriate for you. Because having debt paid off reduces your risk. And depending on where you are in your lifespan, as to how, how important that is to your situation. I'm not sure I'm seeing all the questions, Josh, but those are the only two that came to me.
3: Yeah, I guess, Colin, uh, more generally, we we didn't speak too much about the market volatility that's gone on over the last few weeks. Do you care to make any comments on that specifically?
2: Well, we've noticed, you know, uh, we we keep track of these things. And in fact, we're a little disappointed the markets didn't drop more uh, because that's when we get to do things. Uh, So our meetings over the last couple of weeks, actually, we're secretly hoping for a bigger drop. Because that's what we tend to find, you know, things that we can take advantage of on your behalf to earn you better returns. So, you know, no, it's the, the same kind of stuff that normally happens. And Josh, you had some great stats on, you know, the expectations for a 10% market pullback that you had pulled up from some source. And I can't remember exactly how you put it, but you put it very well.
3: Yeah, so we're down since mid-September, a little bit more than 5% for stock markets. Maybe maybe it's closer to 7% today um, over that period of time. So it's noticeable for you. Doesn't feel good, again, like we're talking about. But if you look back over the last 10 years, nine out of those last 10 years, so this is going back to 2011, nine out of those last 10 calendar years, we've seen a drop in markets from one point in the year to another of at least 10%, so 10% or more at some point throughout those, those 10 calendar years or nine of the last 10 calendar years. Now, also what's true over nine of the last 10 calendar years, from January 1st to December 31st, markets were up on those calendar years. So this is telling us that it's pretty normal for stock markets to drop. And it's also pretty normal for markets to go back up. And over the long term, markets go up. We have 150 some odd years of evidence now that's showing us that markets go up over the long term. So as uncomfortable as these periods of time can be throughout the year when markets go down, this happens pretty much every year. I know it's hard to remember all these, but trust me, they're there.
2: Well, yeah. The other, uh, the other comment we can make is again, this is this is what our for those of people who are invested in our discretionary portfolios or even for those who are not. Our, our investment committee still meets every week, you know, so we spend once a week uh, hashing over what we think is relevant. And there's quite a few people in that room, and we all have pretty diverse reading lists. So there's a lot of stuff that gets put on the table, and you know the, the room gets to weigh it as to whether it's significant or not. Uh, so. You know, there's nothing really compelling that we've seen that you know has fed into this this market pullback. You know, there's nothing that we've seen is like, oh my goodness, it's finally starting to crack. The purchasing you know, purchasing index has just fallen. Therefore, you know, we haven't been able to really put anything in place that would indicate that we're in for some kind of a prolonged pullback. So, right now, this just feels like a you know regular turbulence. Please put on your seatbelt. And this is where you can rely on your experience over the last few years to say, okay, when turbulence hits. To stay the course. You, know, there's not, you don't want to do anything rash at these moments in time. Um, but again, we're still looking and if there's other, other things come into play, then we reserve the right to change our mind. In fact, I may change my mind as soon as 10 minutes from now because I haven't checked my emails for the last hour and something may have come in to change my mind. I'm not seeing any more questions there,
3: Colin, so I think that's it.
2: Well, this is the part where we say thank you to everybody. Tuning in. These are all being recorded now, and so they're available Uh, at some point. Catherine will let you know that they're available, and you can send you know links to your friends, all that kind of stuff. And we love your feedback. Let us know what you like, what didn't you like, what did you want us to talk about that we didn't talk about, and you know we can address some of those questions one on one, and we'll take some of it away and build it into uh, our our next webinar.
3: Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Much appreciated.
0: This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for iPrivate Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of iPrivate Wealth Inc. iPrivate Wealth Inc is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. iPrivate Wealth is a trademark and business name under which iPrivate Wealth Inc operates.
2: Based on observation, it seems that the time an investor is most likely to move his or her portfolio to a new advisor is when the old advisor dies. Let us go on record as saying that having a pulse is not a great reason to trust someone with your entire financial future. Stop putting your life in the hands of stillbreathingwealthplanners.com and call us.
0: This should not be construed as legal, tax, or campaign advice. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.